God damn it. This <laughs> game got us all fucked up. I know, man. Dude, uh, yeah. When Luca got hurt, it was like, I was just like, man. That's a wrap. I, there's no point in living anymore. <laughs> okay. I think, okay. <laughs> you know, from a, from a basket from a basketball school. All right, Mahershala Ali. <laughs> Chill with that. We're not trying to win an Oscar for drama. Okay. <laughs> I mean, come on. Fossil's in his car, Captain Jackass style, with the that noise. That game was that... fucking rigged. <laughs> I mean, I think that the, the refs were a little bit. They let both the teams play a little bit, but you know, I, I just feel like the Clippers get away with a little, a little bit too much physical stuff, and the Mavs don't get to get away with that, as evidenced by Montrez Harrell picking up a foul every time he like went near the basket. I hate Montrez Harrell. Seems <laughs> right. like a nice guy, but is... I hate him. They have um they have all those players that are known for physicality. Their entire identity is like largely a physical one. That's just the breaks, you know. I'm not happy about it, but that's just what it is. I know. It's so annoying though. The Mavs need guys who can punk those kind of players. For real. The fact that the Mavs only lost by eight in a game where their three point shooting was complete garbage, aside from like four I know. people and Luca I... was out for like a good third of the game. I'm not I think too it's the Clippers who should be more concerned than the Mavs. <laughs> well, the Mavs <laughs> need to be concerned about about the health of their best player, but other than that, there's not much to be concerned about. Yeah, man. Um, let me just start Pandemic this P. <laughs> Pandemic P. <laughs> <laughs> let me just quickly post on Instagram about how there's nothing on my mind and you're not in my head at all. You know, I'm not worried about Dude, anything. He's a certified playoff choker. I think. So. I think it's. I think it's official. I mean, I think with Indiana, he was good. I mean, he had to be. They made yeah. it to the Eastern Conference Finals two years in a row. But ever since he called himself Playoff P, it's just been <laughs> downhill from there. Yeah, I mean, there's a reason why he's the Robin on this team and why he was the Robin on uh, the OKC teams as well. I mean, if you look at the way that Paul George approaches his offense, he tends to really settle for threes a lot of the time when he feels like he's getting that open look. The issue is, like, even if it's mildly contested, he's not a consistent enough three-point shooter. And I think that's been borne out by all the playoff data that we have, you know? Yeah, I've always felt he's a little bit of an overrated player. I mean, he's a good player, no doubt. But then uh, when he started getting the signature shoes and all that stuff, I was like, well, let's hold on a second here. Does he really, Does he really deserve that? Does he really deserve to clog up Nike's signature shoe roster and <laughs> much to nobody's surprise he released the worst basketball shoe of all time this year I don't I really <laughs> don't pay attention to Nike shoes I think they're almost all pretty meh check out the PG4 it's by far the worst basketball shoe I've ever seen in my life <laughs> it looks like uh, it looks like cloth with like a, a sole underneath that's it to see you're just describing every Nike shoe to me like <laughs> that's true that's true all nike shoes are pretty bad right now but the pg4 is especially bad i think it has a zipper it doesn't even have laces it has a Ew, zipper disgusting. like what is this 2004 <laughs> <laughs> the only thing worse would be you know those pumps that they used to put in i, I forget oh. what shoe it was but like the air pump oh the shocks yeah the, the shocks. shocks yeah I, I mean i'm pretty sure the shocks had zippers if i remember correctly so it looks basically like that except without the shocks i guess they're going to pay their sweatshop workers a little more, if I'm being honest. They knew. I know. <laughs> They're going to come up with those designs. They might as well yeah. use. They might as well pay their workers. Oh, my God. <laughs> Apparently, Charles Barkley said that they're going to shoot Doncic up with some stuff that they give horses. <laughs> <laughs> I love Charles, man. Like, as much as Inside the NBA says some, like, really heinous stuff sometimes, in, like, from the basketball analysis standpoint and how much they get things wrong they're so entertaining like chuck is probably one of the most entertaining people on t all of television he definitely is love that apparently luca said his injury was not bad he's gonna say that he's too competitive to ever be like yeah i'm in serious pain i don't think i'll be there for next game i think he's gonna try to play the next game no matter what but i think the yeah. good thing on the they should be smart game, about it though and i think yeah, they will be you know i the fact that they took him out after him playing a couple minutes in the fourth, I attribute that to Casey Smith and Rick Carlisle. Just having that cachet within the organization to make the call, I think 
You yeah. look at, for example, KD on the Warriors. It's very hard to tell your superstar player, like the best guy on your team, no, you shouldn't go back out there, no matter how much you care. In the and, playoffs, too. Especially in the playoffs, because there's a, like, emotions ride high. You know, it's a pride thing. For Luka, it's also his first playoffs in the NBA, so he doesn't, he doesn't want to be in a position where he's going to be out for half of a series now. That being said, uh, I really, really hope that this is not a grade three ankle sprain, because if it is, even with all the advanced medical technology that the NBA teams have, specifically that the Mavs have, that's still like a four or five day turnaround. So if it's mm-hmm. anything less than that, hopefully Luca's in the clear, he can play maybe game four a little bit with a minutes restriction and game five for sure. Yeah, it's important to also note that this is his left ankle that he sprained tonight and not his right one, which was the ankle that he injured twice in the regular season. At least it's not a case of re-injuring the same, the same injury, but he's going to get an MRI tomorrow, so we'll know more about his status and what that means going forward. Uh, as Rick Carlisle said, they have an early game on Sunday, so that definitely doesn't work in their favor. But like you said, perhaps he could play on a bit of a minutes restriction um, he may not follow his exact substitution pattern, but he might be able to still get out there if it's not too bad. Yeah. For the record, I do completely agree with you guys, but I think I saw a quote that was attributed to Rick right before I hopped on the call that said the purpose of keeping Luca out there to start the fourth quarter was because the ankle sprain did not look any worse than it did. And after he came out, it still didn't look any worse. It's just that Rick took him out because because Luca wasn't making the top-level basketball plays that you need to win a playoffs game, which that's it's kind of like a bit a bit evasive. But um, Rick does that a lot. I mean, you think yeah. back to stuff like the Rondo situation in the playoffs that year. Like there are things that he just knows politically that he shouldn't say. So I would kind of take that with a grain of salt. I don't know about y'all. I've had a really bad ankle sprain while playing pickup before. And obviously these are completely different things. Luca's like way heavier than me. He plays a completely different game than me. He, he also in plays the in the NBA. <laughs> <laughs> okay, fuck you, Jay. Um, but when you, when you injure your ankle, when you sprain your ankle, the first thing that you want to take down is the swelling. And I yeah. guess the purpose of him at least... If you saw him on the bench, he was like constantly putting weight on each foot, you know, and even being out there getting a little bit of run in. The good thing is the lactic acid buildup isn't going to be too heavy and hopefully the swelling will be more manageable. That on top of like cryotherapy and all the crazy things that the NBA has, I think will help him be back by game five for sure. Yeah, Mr. What? Yeah, science. (laughs) (laughs) That's a Dr. Butt with a medical update for you guys. <laughs> yes, clearly I'm an expert. I will say this, though. I think uh, it's good to note that the medical technology now allows for faster recovery of players. And I think the Mavs training staff, I mean, in, in Rick Carlisle included, has built up a level of credibility to where I do trust them with their decision to let Luca play for those the three or four minutes in the fourth quarter after getting injured. They've dealt a lot with with a similar injury with Dirk. Dirk never really had a major injury in his career until, uh, I mean, I guess he had the knee surgery in 2012, arthroscopic, and then he had the ankle surgery in 2018. But aside from that, he sprained his ankle many times. He, he but got never injured really one year in the playoffs, right? But I don't think, yes, and that I don't was think it required surgery. It no, didn't require um, surgery, but they uh, kept they held him out out of caution, and that was sort of what caused the, the rift between Don Nelson and Mark Cuban which eventually led to Don Nelson and the Mavericks parting ways. But certainly that was a good long-term move because, well, look at Dirk's career. <laughs> Especially yeah. for like a tall guy who doesn't really rely on his athleticism and really isn't bulking up. There aren't that many things that you can fall back on. And I mean, yeah, just like you guys were saying, Dirk played so long and near the end of his career, you especially saw how difficult it was for him to just get up and down the court. If the Mavs organization wasn't so risk-averse with Dirk, it could have very well been worse for him. So in this game particularly, I was tweeting this from the Film Room account, 
I would have rather them not play him and then just kind of bring him to the sideline and, like, let him keep some weight on it, you know, like, walk around. Not do too many high-contact things, but I'm not a professional on, like, what these two will tell you. But I'm not a doctor. (laughs) (laughs) I think another reason that I also trust their decision is they've dealt with this injury twice with him now this season. Of course, again, it was the other ankle. But... Like I said, I think the staff has a bit of credibility that's been built up over the years with how they've managed injuries and helped players rehab. They wouldn't have made this move unless they were absolutely sure that it wasn't going to risk re-injuring him or any long-term damage. And, I mean, I guess you also have to consider it's the playoffs again, so they really only have one chance at this. Yep. Porzingis had, and I saw this on Twitter, probably one of the quietest 30-plus point games that I've seen in the playoffs. Like, you really didn't notice that he was getting up there on the scoreboard or in the box score until Luca went out and it was all him in the fourth quarter and he went, like, on a run of, like, two alley-oops and then a three and then a dunk attempt at the rim. He had a really good game tonight. He he shot 11 for 18, 34 points, shot five for nine from three and hit all of his seven free throws. And I think that's a really important step. Uh, Obviously, in game one, he had the ejection, so he was playing pretty well up until that point but couldn't finish the game. Game two, he was solid. He did his part. He had, I think, 23 points and seven rebounds. But this game, he was really on. He hit several tough three-pointers. I think two of them, which I felt like he should have gotten the and one on. Yeah. But yeah. but uh, hard closeouts by the defenders, but he hit those threes. Um, and he looked really good tonight. I mean, I think it was kind of like the regular season bubble game that they played against the Clippers, where he also had another 30-point game and shot really well. And it's sort of goes to show you that the Clippers don't necessarily have an answer for the Mavericks big men, whether it's Kristaps or Boban from the last game. Clippers do have a weakness, at least against Kristaps. Yeah, definitely. Because their their bigs are sort of the bruising, close-to-the-basket type players. But when you have to stretch them out to the three-point line, that's when you can really do damage with the offense. And again, it's worth noting that the Mavericks still have the highest margin of victory in this series. You know, and that's sort of a testament to how well that KP played tonight, how well Seth Curry played tonight, and, you know, how well the team just was able to keep afloat despite Luka getting injured and not really playing much uh, there in the third and fourth quarter. Yeah. KP is a matchup nightmare for the Clippers, for one of the top defenses in the league. So that's super important. However, I will say how aggressive he was tonight, and this might have been because Luka was out, for longer in the game. I need to see that more throughout the rest of the series. Agreed. I need to see him not just looking for his own shot, but like hunting for the basket. I feel like too often he kind of just stays on the three-point line when his defender is right on him. And as good as he is off the dribble driving, I don't see him having like this really good off-the-dribble step-back three, the way that Luka does. It's very difficult for him to create space unless he completely gets his big man going towards the basket and he stops, right? Yeah, I think he still needs to develop a certain level of aggressiveness when it comes to the basket, and I think that'll come with also him improving his skill. I don't really believe he's that consistent of a player off the dribble yet. He He has the capability of hitting tough shots, but I've noticed that his first instinct is to shoot, obviously, which is fine. But sometimes it leads to like a hesitation on the perimeter when he has an open shot. And I think to him, he wants to drive to the basket, but also knows that he's not the best at it yet. Um, and that's an area of his game that he needs to work on is just being more solid off the drive and finishing at the rim. Of course, it's tough for a player of his size to do that. But I mean, he's only 25. And I think he's shown the ability to add new aspects to his game. So I wouldn't be surprised if that's something he works on this summer and this fall and who knows when the next season is going to start but I think that's sort of the biggest thing that he needs to work on. Kristaps definitely played a phenomenal game tonight uh, but for some of the critiques that you guys had of him just in general I'll say that in this game a lot of the shots that Kristaps took were basically um, somebody was running a play for him and he was put in a position to make an additional play But instead of that, in this specific context, especially now with Luka out or at the very least hobbled, I think the play just needs to directly end with him, which we saw with the lobs. I I would like to run more actions like that. 
Those are hard to get uh, against the Clippers, though. After yeah, Luca went that out, is, it was a lot harder to get him the ball in the paint. The one shot that he took tonight that stuck out to me that wasn't a great shot was a mid-range fade. And he, on post-ups, he still needs to work a lot on that. So that's something that will come with time. But for this season and probably for the foreseeable future, just in the short term, I'm not sold on that. We need to definitely limit those attempts, especially in the playoffs, man. But again, for like this entire night, he did very well. So I, I'm not ragging on him too much. I will say that he's, um, he's really adjusted well to his role as the five in the offense um, since Dwight Powell went down. I mean, I think uh, I do remember he was sort of reluctant to play the five. He said he prefers playing the four. Um, at the beginning of the season and that's of course how the Mavericks um, really structured their lineup having Powell at the five uh, as the role man and KP at the four mainly on the perimeter shooting threes but I think being the five in the offense really gives him the chance to do a lot of different things on offense and have his fingerprints um, on the playmaking in a way that he didn't have it before and I think ultimately for where this team wants to go that's really valuable because the less predictable your offense is the more you know unique looks and different actions that you can run that keeps the defense on its feet i i did notice that earlier on in the season it was essentially that it was kp standing on the perimeter shooting like nine or ten threes per game and that was sort of when he was still getting back into the rhythm of playing after missing so many months with the acl injury i think just as a basketball player it gives him a greater chance to be engaged in the offense right i don't really want to harp on kp too much because i feel like this is huge for his confidence. I think he's going to come back next year, and once Dwight Powell is presumably back, there are going to be a lot more weapons. And it goes back to what you were saying, Jay. When he was at the four, his role was less defined. But I think with all big men, it's easier to get a rhythm going when you're a threat to get to the basket, and the easiest way to get there is through a pick and roll. And as we saw with you know the Powell Doncic pick and rolls very early in the season that was such a potent weapon I mean Powell was playing phenomenally I think in part because of that I think the difference between Porzingis and Powell's uh, that I want to highlight is the foot speed right Porzingis just isn't as quick so you'll notice defenders kind of staying up on him because they know that if they can kind of hip check him or kind of keep his shoulders in front of them that he's not as much of a threat to get to the basket and you notice this, especially when he's going for like put-back dunks. His most effective way of putting something back or catching an alley-oop at the rim is on the right or left side. It's very difficult for him to do what Powell does, which is just catch it, have the defender clear out, or have the defender push back to under the basket and just dunk it on top of them. Right? Unfortunately, they're two very different players, and Powell being out for the second half of the season and the playoffs... I think has made the offense a little more monotonous. So to your point, I think starting next season, we're going to see a lot more diversification because now KP has a more defined role and Powell already has a defined role. True. I think that's pretty good about KP. What else? I want to call out some of our role players today because after game two, when everything was going right, we were talking in the first episode about how this series is going to be a test for team composition, who fits, how we should play certain lineups, who we should be looking for to put next to KP and Luka, who works best on our bench. And that's not necessarily because the offense has some like gaping flaw in it. I think it's more so because this offense can be more efficient when Luka goes out. I think some players simply don't have as defined a role. And we talked about DeLon in the first episode. I don't think he played that well today, but he usually you know, doesn't have that much of an impact. The players I want to highlight today are Dorian and Maxi specifically. The Mavs needed them to at least hit a third of their threes, and they really were not there tonight. Yeah, so that's interesting that you bring those two guys up. I think, I think Dorian has sort of had an up-and-down bubble, but overall has been pretty solid. Think of the first two games, Dorian was pretty good. Tonight was a bit of a rough game for him, but I mean, we can probably chalk it up to just an off night for him. Maxi, on the other hand, has had a pretty rough go in the bubble. Um, 
he really hasn't been shooting up to the level that we've been accustomed to seeing this season. Um, defensively, he sort of held his own in games one and two, but tonight uh, could not stop Kawhi Leonard. And Kawhi is a great yes. player, but didn't really show much resistance to I, him. I disagree. As soon as Maxi was moved off of him, Kawhi was dunking basically every single time down. Yeah. Or he had an easy assist. Like, you, we got to remember that resistance is almost half of defense, right? Half of defense is just wearing a guy down until he's not in a position that he wants to be or he doesn't have the energy on that possession to get where he usually goes. I think Maxi, even when he's not playing uh, or when he's playing somebody that completely outmatches him like Kawhi does, he can still get them out of their comfort zone or do one of those two things. And that's fundamentally important. So I saw Bibbs tweet that and I completely agree with him. But I do also see where you're coming from in that it's very difficult to slow down a guy like Kawhi. Yeah, I think that's a good point. I think Maxi had a bit of a rough defensive game, but I don't think that's indicative of who he is. I think it's still still worth um, you know, using him as the primary defender against Kawhi. And I guess it also is important to understand that him having a greater defensive burden than he's used to will probably result in a diminished production on offense, just given how much energy it takes to defend a guy like Kawhi. But it would be nice if he could at least hit some of his outside shots. He's really struggled from the three-point line this series. Dorian's shot five for 17 from three in these games, and Maxi one for 11. <laughs> Yikes. Ugh. It's been sort of a rough series for them, but Maxi even more so than, than Dorian. Yeah. Dorian is having a great season shooting outside of obviously the postseason and kind of some of the bubble games, but I do feel like we can expect him to have rough shooting nights because this is a relatively new phenomenon for us to witness Dorian Finney-Smith being able to shoot the three consistently. With Maxi, he just shouldn't be missing corner threes like that. I mean, there are, I think, four shots that he shot from either the corner or the wing on dish outs that I was just surprised weren't even relatively close. You know, like they just hit rim. They didn't even go in and out. It's, it was disappointing. And I hope he really comes to play next time because we need one or both of them to really be a weapon in order for them to really stay honest on defense. Unfortunately, even with perfect health, if both those guys are shooting that poorly, I don't think we can win this series. So it's basically as simple as that. Yeah. Yeah. At least one of them needs to turn it around for the Mavericks to really have a chance. If both of them are shooting poorly, it's pretty hard to see them win the series. So I feel like at least if, if Maxi can can stop shooting like 0% from three every game, that that would go a long way considering that the Mavs are playing well without him hitting his three-pointers. So I mean, even one or two threes per game might make a bigger difference than we think. On the point about both Dorian and Maxi, Dorian has been, you know, as you guys said, a little up and down this entire bubble. But I've liked what he's given all three games because he's come with a lot of energy, a lot of hustle. Definitely going against the Clippers in general has just been a tough assignment for him. So for him to give us anything offensively has been very much appreciated. And it's not something that I'm necessarily expecting him to go off for, like, say, in the Milwaukee game. I did think he had a better game starting in the second half where he definitely picked it up with his outside shot and part of the whole Mavericks making a run without Luka deal. As for Maxi, I happen to side more with Rohan on this one where he is basically our best and only hope against Kawhi, unless you want to argue that Michael P. Gilchrist could do something, no. which is possible. I disagree. But... I disagree on that. All right, but go, keep going. Okay. But yeah, I think basically anytime Kawhi's missed a shot this entire series, it has come down to either just variance off a three-pointer or Maxi actually trying to alter the shot. Nobody else on the Mavericks really stands a chance to defend Kawhi adequately unless you want to send him to the line. So on that level, Maxi's been appreciated. Unfortunately, Kawhi's picking up right where he left off from last year's playoffs. So I was thinking to myself this entire game, Maxi defending Kawhi, 
looks just like Serge Ibaka defending Dirk during the 2011 playoffs. <laughs> so, it yeah, does... not too much you can do with that. Very true. There isn't much that you can do with that because that's just greatness. And that was the next point that I was going to make is that Kawhi is really just, there's a reason why he's in the top three basketball players in the league. Okay. It's not just something the national media says because, you know, it's the hype or he's kind of been there and he's succeeded on a level. It's not like there's anything hollow about his game. The man can make a basket from anywhere. Straight up. Can make a basket from anywhere. The Mavs defense, I think, in this series has been a lot better than we expected it to be, especially their perimeter defense and, you know, kind of the scrappy plays, you know, digging out steals in certain instances. I think Dorian had one in, I believe, the third quarter, like near the end of the third quarter. That was really impressive and really stood out. And before we get to that, I want to answer this question, which we've already kind of been on from Mavs highlights. How did the Mavs slow Kawhi? I know we were talking about this just now in terms of Maxi. Um, I know we suggested MKG. Karam Stark, I believe that's how you pronounce it, says you can't double team him. If you do, he's just going to make plays to the open guy, hence the eight assists. As good as Maxi played, it's just not going to work out. I would say put MKG on him and see how it goes. I disagree with you, K-Stark. MKG on the few plays that I've seen him on Kawhi, it's a lot harder for him to defend Kawhi than it is for Maxi, and I think a big part of that is wingspan and height. Because all that you need on a guy in Kawhi is somebody who is going to contest the shot and make it difficult for Kawhi to you know, shoot his favorite shots, which are kind of wing jumpers in the mid-range or get into the paint and really put something easy up. And Maxi does oftentimes mitigate that. The issue with Kawhi, though, is he's just too good. He can score from literally anywhere on the, on the court. So we've got to make sure that Maxi's on him. And I think the bigger thing defensively, in my mind is to put KP in a position to where he's not in foul trouble, to where he's not constantly getting called for these ticky-tack fouls against Montrez Harrell or Evicha Zubak. Yeah, I will say this. On the point of how do you stop Kawhi, I don't really think you, you do. He's just too good of a player. I mean, it's sort of the old adage, you can't stop him, you can only hope to contain him. Yeah. And I think that's sort of the strategy that the Mavs need to take here is that they should focus their defensive effort, in my opinion, on, yes, providing some resistance against the Clippers stars like Kawhi and Paul George. But I think they really need to focus more on the role players and limiting the damage that they do, like Jermichael Green, Marcus Morris. Landry Shamit. Says Zubac. Landry Shamit, Montrezl Harrell. If you can get those guys to sort of limit their production, then you can stomach bigger performances from Kawhi and Paul George, and it doesn't hurt as much. And I think that's what they did really well in the first two games. And this game was a little bit worse in that regard. And they need to go back to that strategy. I think the Clippers did have a hot shooting night. So that probably won't continue, like you said. But the Clippers are a good shooting team, so I wouldn't discount it either. Um, but I think that should be their defensive focus instead of trying to figure out how to prevent Kawhi from scoring 30 points a game. He probably will. So you might as well just try and slow down the other guys and let Paul George and Kawhi and Lou Williams beat you because they alone can beat you. So right. might as well make it harder for them. I think the bigger issue here with Kawhi is the eight assists. And it goes back to what Jay is saying. And I think we all agree on this. Because you can only hope to contain Kawhi, you really got to focus on everyone around him. I think this is also how the Clippers game plan for Luka this time. You know, they decided, listen, we're going to have you know, our wings on him, try to put length in front of Luka, because you can't stop him. All you can hope is that you force him into a position that we know how to deal with. And there were a couple possessions there where Kawhi doubled him in the paint and stopped the dish out to the corner. And that's one of the passes that Luka is the most proficient at. So I think there's something that the Mavs need to mirror in that sense, where they need to give MKG a role such as not just doubling Kawhi, but to stay on a guy like 
Landry Shamit or stay on the perimeter for a little more. And I purely say that because I don't think MKG is a brilliant interior defender. I don't think his size or his wingspan necessarily gives him the ability to really have a huge impact on that end, especially when we already have KP and Maxi in there, or if we have Dorian, or if we have Boban, shit. Ultimately, we've got to put our wing defenders like Dorian, like MKG, in positions in the zone where they're not necessarily playing man-to-man because now that means they're on an island. They can't really help make the plays that they're super skilled at making unless, you know, Paul George is in a bad position, which is a lot less likely than Landry Shamit being in a bad position, you know? Yeah, I agreed. And I think I didn't really like what I saw in, in that regard today. I felt that Dorian was sort of getting sucked into the lane too much on drives. And if he's not on Kawhi, just let Maxi handle that. You can't afford to leave Landry Shamit open on the on the perimeter or Marcus Morris. They did too much damage to the Mavericks. And I think that was ultimately the undoing. It was an off-night shooting for the Mavs until the fourth quarter. But you can limit the damage if you're able to play good perimeter defense, which they didn't do today. And that was the difference in the game. Right. Against the Clippers, definitely with Kawhi on the floor, I don't think you can do much in the way of doubling and trapping because Kawhi is, at this point, a very complete player. He will find the open man, and he will bust your defense if you try and play him that way. The best hope you have against Kawhi is just to play him straight up, make sure he gets his, and make sure that nobody else gets theirs, which the closest blueprint to that we've seen was probably that Toronto-Philly series from last playoffs. Right, but at the same time, Philly had a lot more bodies to throw at. Yeah, that's at, at, we shouldn't discuss that either. Yeah, we don't that, have nearly that much uh, defense. That and I think Toronto, as good as they are, have a, have an identity more as a defensive team than they do as like a really good shooting team. And I feel like with Lou Will, with Landry Shamit, with a lot of their bench guys, you have people that can come and really turn defense into offense. You got a couple of really good shot creators. So, yeah, you definitely have to put one of MKG or Dorian, and I'm assuming it's Dorian because MKG really doesn't get that much play unless Rick is, like, magically going to give him, like, 15 minutes in a game, right? You got to put one of them on Lou Will because Lou Will has had moments in each of these games where I really fear him having a monster output. He is their third main scorer he can put up 20 points a game like nothing and I feel like the Mavs have skated a little bit because the focus really hasn't been on him in the offense right yes Uh, I don't really have much to add to that do you want to move towards praise sure so people we would like to praise definitely Seth Curry he hit all his three-pointers which is his less famous brother has never done in his career before. <laughs> <laughs> the best Curry. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's amazing how Seth has developed into a really, really solid NBA player and should be praised in his own right without having to mention his brother every single time. Or his dad, or the fact that he's married to Doc Rivers' daughter. Like, who cares, honestly? <laughs> I know. He obviously needs to keep it up, and I think that he will. His worst shooting games, I think, in the bubble have been outliers to how he can play. So I'm less worried about him. I just really am encouraged by his active hands. I know Fazl and I have talked about this, I think, extensively over the years that he's been here. But he had that one steal on Paul George. And I think that's pretty much what you can expect from him on defense. Because although he's undersized, he is still really active on the defensive end and oftentimes that ends up in him you know getting a couple of ticky tack fouls but on the flip side occasionally it does lead to like one or two steals but moving on from Seth I do feel like his bench backcourt running mate Trey Burke also deserved quite a bit of praise this game too because his energy is certainly contagious for the bench I feel he kept us in that game earlier on Burke Nowitzki, baby. (laughs) (laughs) Especially in this game when you had so many key bench players really not 
contributing on the offensive end. You needed Trey Burke to not only give you that energy, but also score in a multitude of ways. And I think a lot of those threes that he hit were really down the stretch in like the end of the third quarter and the start of the fourth quarter kept the Mavs engaged. I wanted to say this on the last episode. Trey Burke has impressed me not just with how well he's been connecting on his shots, but also with just the intelligence at which he's been playing. He, in this bubble, has looked like an entirely different player, different than any other point I've seen him in his career. He has played so smartly on both ends of court that I I never would have expected anything like this. And going beyond the three-pointers that he has, he has been finishing at the rim with yeah. unbelievable consistency. Uh, he blew by Paul George a couple times this game, and I was like, who is this guy? Yeah, yeah I was going to say, he's had a really, really good bubble. And like you said, it's sort of different than any other point in his career. I mean, I remember in his short stint with the Mavs at the end of last season, uh, he was good, but he still, I think, was a little bit he had a mindset of like tunnel vision and didn't really necessarily make the right plays. But like you said, he's been really intelligent in the bubble. He's made the right passes, but also just his ability to finish in the lane is something that I don't think we've seen from him. And I think I'm at the point where I, where I, I'm saying like, he should definitely be on the roster next season. I think he could really give them valuable backup point guard minutes and just be a guy that they can count on off the bench to command the offense and not make too many stupid decisions, which has been sort of what they've lacked in the past is just like a, a floor general for the bench unit. I mean, they've had J.J. Bray and Devin Harris who have been good players, but Devin Harris not on the roster anymore, and J.J. is getting old. Um, if this season is any indication, he probably is not going to be able to play much if he's even on the team next year. So I think Trey Burke is logically that guy to step up and would be a good partner for Jalen Brunson in the backcourt and sort of will allow them to play off of each other and could help Jalen develop just – from the perspective of him not having to do as much as he usually does. But that's a little bit yeah. thinking in the future. No, I mean, feel free to think in the future. I agree with both of you. Uh, to start out with a little bit of hindsight, I would say the big thing that surprised me about Trey Burke, along with what Jay already said, was I think last season he was, one, hesitating a little more than anything. I think that was the biggest issue that I had with this play. I don't think he really understood what his role was on the team. I, I think it's a little hard to come into a team midway through a season and acclimate to a team that is playing so differently from a lot of other squads in the league. Yeah, his playmaking is really good. I think the biggest thing is his turnovers have gone down. Like Jay said, I think a part of it is tunnel vision. I think the bigger portion of it has to do with just shot selection. I think he sees where he can get buckets now. And like you were saying, he had a couple buckets on Paul George. I think he had three points at the basket the entire game. And two of them happened consecutively. And I think one of them, Paul George, was directly in front of him. And on the second one, he Euroed in between Kawhi and Paul George, which is just super impressive (laughs) for a guy who's pretty undersized and has a lot of quickness to slice through the two best defenders yeah, I think a thing that's made a big impact for him also is playing winning basketball, too. When he was on the Mavs, you know, last season, they were a lottery team. They didn't have anything much to play for. He's only made the playoffs once in his career. I was actually looking at this the other day, and it was with Washington in 2017. And he played only three games with them and didn't score a single point. So this is really his first first real playoff experience. Um, and I think it's great to see that that it's change him as a player and I, I I saw Rick Carlisle quote the other day where he was talking about how Trey Burke has finally like found his role in the NBA and I think that couldn't be more true just given the way that he's playing yeah this is really like what he's meant to do because I know he was he was a lottery pick at least highly touted pick in 2013 in the draft coming out of Michigan where he was a star but never quite really lived up to the expectations when he came into the league but um, I think he's really now found a nice niche for himself and hopefully that can continue on yeah jay on your point about trey burke being a lottery pick yes he was in 2013 uh utah specifically traded up with minnesota to pick him so that's how highly touted he was he played very well in the ncaa which you know makes a lot of sense on your point about what rick's quote was with him finally learning his role in the nba 
Yes, 100%. I think now he finally has a good coach to play for and a good system, which Quinn Snyder and his system over in Utah, I think that that was already in place by the time Burke got there, right? Quinn no, Snyder is good. pretty early, I think. Oh, Wait, it this was, was really, yeah, this was really early. Oh, really? So yeah. that would have probably been, what, Ty Corbin still? Yeah, yeah. probably. Yeah. I think he at least had Ty Corbin for like one year. Okay, so, right. So starts off with Ty Corbin. Maybe he spends a little time with uh, Quinn Snyder. Then he just bounces around the league until he gets to Dallas. And, you know, it takes a second shot with Dallas to really get with it. But still, that's a lot for anybody to go through. And I think, especially now that he's gotten a little older, Trey's starting to realize this and he's picked up the intricacies of NBA level basketball and he is proving his value and what made him such a good prospect in the first place. And let's not also discount the fact he's in the playoffs for a real actual good team. And like <laughs> those 2017 wizards who they were decent for an Eastern conference team, but let's be honest, it's the wizards. <laughs> um, when you have somebody like Luca and Kristaps to play around with, definitely feel that and you realize hey we could actually do something special here so let me continue to ball out so i can at least stay in the league if not stay with mavericks yeah that and i think the role that he found for himself was available here kind of like what jay said because brunson went down and also because delon really hasn't been impressive at all (laughs) unfortunate i think yeah yes i would like to see him with brunson come next season although that is you know foresight but my question for him in a super small ball lineup like it would be with Seth Curry him and Brunson is how much time would it take to work out the kinks because right now I feel like he's very comfortable in his role as a primary ball handler off the bench but once Brunson comes in, Brunson is like a baby J.J. Barea in terms of his role as a playmaker. I know that it can be done. My question is, will we see a drop-off in efficiency? I think with a lot of guys that are, you know, focused on playmaking and creating shots, there is a difficulty in getting to the rhythm that you are comfortable with. And I'm curious to see how that plays out. Although I will say I would rather have him on the team than DeLon Wright. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, I think it makes a lot more sense for what they're trying to do than Dulan does. Especially because he can shoot. Yeah, yeah. So aside from Trey Burke, we have a couple of other players who played pretty decently. So who do we want to touch on next? I think Tim Hardaway Jr. was pretty good. Had some bad misses, but also had some good makes. I think overall he's been solid in this series. So... I think he just needs to keep it up and continue hitting his shots, but I guess I can give him a shout-out. <laughs> had some bad misses, had some good makes is basically the Tim Hardaway Jr. story. <laughs> <laughs> I think as long as you keep Tim engaged with drives to the basket and just letting him spot up in the corner or anywhere behind the line, but not letting him dribble into a three, that is the best version of Tim Hardaway Jr. that you're going to see. It's going to be a little more difficult to create those looks with Luca out. So if Tim has the ball in his hands, it is certainly more imperative for him to drive to the basket. Apart from that, most of this performance from him is sustainable, even without Luca. It's just that the rest of the Mavericks really got to step up and make the right play and not fall into the Clippers' trap. So Yeah, I think Tim definitely historically has had opportunities for example with Atlanta right after his initial stint with the Knicks where he went to the playoffs I believe um, and he had pressure put on him to the point where he was required to shoot volume and I think that's paying off for the Mavs right now because he's comfortable in that role already and he has been comfortable in that role all season this year and the second half of the season last year. However, there were a lot of moments this game and I think other games, as there usually are with Tim Hardaway Jr., where you kind of just wish his instinct was to do something different in that position. (laughs) And I do often wish that he was a better playmaker. Purely because 
when Luca is out and you have him as your primary or secondary ball handler, he basically prefers going right almost every time, which is a lot easier for most NBA defenders to deal with. So I guess it comes down to his pick and roll. And with KP, you can also get away with a lot. But if KP is out and you're not playing with Boban, you have Maxi Kleba. And if Maxi's not hitting his three, you're not getting a ton of space. And so I'm really worried that if Luka doesn't play in game four, or if he doesn't really play a lot of minutes, the Mavs are in for a really rough 20 minutes of a game where they're struggling to even get interior offense going, let alone, you know, shooting. Yeah, that is a concern. We sort of saw that early in the game today. Luka wasn't ever really himself, even before getting injured in the third quarter wasn't quite able to get in the lane or finish in the lane when he did get in the lane like he was in the first two games. So I think it's definitely something to keep an eye on. Yeah, game four is almost certainly going to be a brick fight and predicated on the Mavs playing defense well. Obviously, we can't expect another 120-plus point outburst on the Clippers. I do think that we are in for... A tougher fight and it doesn't look great but it's certainly doable i do think it's still doable now we've accounted for the kind of the worst case scenario which is luca doesn't play or he plays a very low amount if luca does end up playing and he presumably has gotten a lot of time to look at film what would you like to see him do I would like to see him do the stuff that made us look so successful in those first two games, which was driving to the rim. That's a tough ask with his injury, but it's probably the only real solution we have unless Luca happens to be hitting it from three, which he was in game two. When that happens, there is an almost unlimited amount of options that Luca has. There is no proper way to defend him in that case. But it's always tough to open up a game with Luca shooting a lot of threes because then if he looks bad, it's a little easier to uh, react to him. So right. at least give if he's able to give it a go in game four, then I would like to see him maybe make a feint at being more aggressive. Yeah, I agree. I think he needs to continue to attack the basket, and that's really where most of the plays for the Mavs happen. Even if it doesn't result in him going for the the layup, he still is able to make plays and pass it out to shooters. So just having him do that really helps their spacing, and so I just want to see him continue to be aggressive and hopefully convert on more attempts than he did in this game. Right. What I want to see him come up with in the future as far as playmaking and just generally adding to his game is I feel like he really has two areas on the court where he is very dangerous. Obviously the three point line, even when he isn't hitting, he's a really good passer. So if a guy cuts, he can hit them exactly where he needs to hit them. If he's in the paint, he's obviously a much better passer because he, he can see more of the court. You know, he has a larger effect on the opponent's defense I think what he needs to add is that in-between game. And ultimately, it comes down to his ability to get that mid-range shot off and be successful at it. Because one, I feel like his efficiency could be a lot more feasible there. Because I don't think he's a bad shooter. I think that he's in a position where he has to take a lot of bad shots or shots that he's not practiced enough for yet. And not only will a healthy-looking mid-range shot get him into a position where the defense has to stay more honest. It also gives him time when he's driving to stop before he even gets into the paint, but after he's crossed the threshold for the three-point line. And the reason I say that is because when you're at that position, he's had moments like this last season, you can see the other corner, you can see the wing, and you can see the corner directly near you. And obviously he's decent at no-look passes, so... He has so many different portions of the three-point line that he can kick out to. I also think that it allows him to take advantage of the defender's 
early coverage and the early moments of a double team. And he's already proven that he's really effective at exploiting the mistakes of even good defensive teams. Okay, I think that about sums it up for uh, Game 3. Game 4 is coming up this Sunday at 2.30 p.m. Central Time, and it's on ABC. The Mavericks will try and avenge their loss here and even the series at 2-2, but Luka's status is in question, and we will know more about it probably tomorrow in the afternoon or evening once he takes his MRI. What are our predictions for the game? I believe it's going to be a close one, but if Luka's playing, it's definitely going to be a Mavs win. If Luka's not playing, it's going to be another close loss. I think that's how I feel about it, too. Same here, although I do feel like Luka's going to play, so it's going to be a Mavs win. Hell yeah, boy. Yes. Hey, before before, <laughs> <laughs> before we end the episode, quick shout out to Captain Jackass. We all miss you on Twitter, bro. We all miss you. Fazl's doing an homage from his car. You know, that's why his audio is so janky. Because <laughs> he wanted to pay I can't find respects. a moment's peace in my fucking house. <laughs> Jim Harden! <laughs> Wherever you are, Captain Jackass, I hope you're doing well. I've certainly missed your take on the Mavs and just your presence on Twitter in general. You were one of the most enjoyable follows that I've ever had the pleasure of seeing in the Mavs fan community. I miss him so yes, much. Sir. I miss him so much. <laughs> I cannot exaggerate. And Mavs Twitter is so dry without Captain Jackass. <laughs> you know? That is that's true. You need that 100%. sardonic yelling after a loss to like truly give you therapy. Right. And now instead we have therapy threads from from Ruben. Which I I'm not gonna hate, but like <laughs> it's not the same. Yeah, not as cathartic as dialing up Captain Jackass's voicemail after a Mavs loss and being <laughs> like, what the fuck did the Raps just do? Or, you know what? Uh, especially after, like, Rockets games and, like, the oh, Rondo yeah. game where Rondo and, uh, and Carlo... Anytime faced DeAndre with the Clippers. Basically, yeah. He was so good at, like, all of the heated Mavs moments. <laughs> yeah. We want you back, buddy. Anyways, Jay, why don't we close it up? Shit, what do I say? I don't know, just bring energy, because <laughs> you sound like you're on Cymbaltum. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, like, so tired right now. Okay. All right, guys, that's all we got for you today. Thanks for listening. We will see you in game four. Cuatro, cuatro, cuatro.